Welcome to Outside by Design, the podcast about the business side of creativity in the outdoor industry. I talk to some of our industry's finest leaders, entrepreneurs, freelancers, and creatives about crafting a life and a career based on being outside. Hey, my marketing managers and photographers and writers. Welcome back to another episode of Outside by Design. I am your host, Lisa Slagle, the owner of a really fun and wild and crazy creative agency called Wheelie. You can check us out at wheeliecreative.com. We work with a lot of outdoor brands, and because of that, I meet so many amazing outdoor people that I decided to start this podcast. So um, this has been a really fun season that, that we've been working on, and today... I had the honor of talking to Sarah Jarrell. She is such a badass. And, you know, one of my favorite things about having this podcast is meeting all these amazing people and being able to have conversations with them and find just so much amazing industry knowledge out there. And Sarah is the women's program coordinator at SRAM. And I've met Sarah at several mountain bike events where she teaches women and people how to work on their bikes in you know she'll get as complex or and detailed as as you ever want to get because she's one of the best bike mechanics like in the whole country and she's super humble about it and I think my very favorite thing about Sarah is her ability to hold a room and hold an audience Um, she's super calm and you can just tell she's a really strong person with a lot of value to bring to the bike industry and a lot of value to bring to the conversation that she's in. So I'm a big fan of Sarah's and I think you're going to learn a lot. Uh, She has a lot of practical knowledge for people who are trying to get sponsored Um, or if you're also like Sarah in a position where you're selecting ambassadors and creating sponsorships, you might find that conversation to be particularly interesting and um, you get to listen to Sarah's journey through the bike industry. So enjoy. I know you will. Okay, cool. Sarah, thank you so much for being here at Outside by Design. So the very, very, very first question we ask anybody is to describe their setting. Tell us where you're at in the country and what you're looking at right now. Well, um, I'm in Colorado Springs, Colorado, currently in the uh, SRAM office uh, here. And I'm sitting in a conference room, uh, hoping that it's going to be quiet enough for this interview. So I'm not looking at anything too impressive, but if I was to walk outside, I would see Pikes Peak. So that's all right. That's all right. Um, I've never been to the SRAM headquarters. Are they loud and bustling and crazy like the Yeti headquarters? Yeah, I mean, it definitely gets loud um, for sure. And this is just one of the office. The actual headquarters is in uh, uh, Chicago. Um, So here is where most of the suspension and hydraulic disc brake engineering and design happens, um, as well as some marketing activities. But we are known as the loud and rowdy office, for sure. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, and what, like, what specifically is your job title and what do you do? Fill our listeners in, other than you're awesome, which I will have already said in the intro. Ah, you're too kind. Um, 
So my job title is uh, Women's Program Coordinator, um, and that entails uh, basically getting more women on bikes um, and doing that through community building, uh, through events, workshops, clinics, uh, through sponsoring ambassadors uh, that are out in the world. We have, I think, almost 36 ambassadors globally um, spread throughout the world just trying to do the work of getting getting more women on bikes and psyched on riding. And so that's kind of a very like high-level overview. Involves a lot of organizing and logistics and sorting through sponsorship proposals and things of that nature. That's actually, we've never had anyone who, on the podcast who is responsible for selecting sponsorships or ambassadors and things like that. So what, what are some things that you look for in a, an ambassador and in a good proposal? And what are some do's and don'ts? Yeah, some do's and don'ts, right? Um, I think a good do is, uh, lately it's funny, it's sponsorship season right now. So, uh, you know, your inbox fills up every, I feel like every night I go, go to sleep, I wake up to like, you know, 30 more proposals at least. Um, and a lot of them, you know, come in very informally and not that informal is a bad thing, but uh, if you're ask, actually asking a company for something, whether it be money or product or both sometimes, it's usually a good idea to have it, you know, dialed a bit to the point where you know what you're asking for and that you have some sort of a proposal to go along with that. Um, to make that ask, to talk about all the good things that you're doing out there, to show show off your, your stuff, you know, whatever it is you're doing, whether you're running clinics like Mountain Bike Skills Clinic or, you know, you're started a nonprofit in the inner city getting more people on bikes. Like any of those things are awesome, and I'm totally open to any type of proposal, really, that is in line with the mission of getting more, uh, more women on bikes, um, but it needs to have some sort of formal ask and I need to be able to know what you do. Those are the basic things that get your that'll get your foot in the door and then from there we go into a much more in depth of like, you know, weighing and balancing uh different uh pros and cons and what, what our missions are for the next year and how how these people or this group or that organization fits in and that sort of thing. So. Do you find that you respond more when it's like a very specific ask with a specific dollar amount on it or are you just looking for you know like hey we need x amount of bike product like what what do you think is the easiest foot in the door for people um you know i i'm i tend to be a pretty straightforward person like i i'm not really interested in, in taking people's time without you know making it uh efficient and and kind of putting out there what I'm what I'm up to. Like I don't really like beating around the bush, so to speak. Um, and uh, I, I like that sort of approach from people, but I'm also open-minded enough to know that like not everybody knows how to ask for uh, sponsorship, you know? So I get a lot of requests from people that are like, hey, this is my first time ever doing this. Like, you know, what do you need from me to make this request? And I respond to those people. Like I'm a really, I'm actually really responsive um, and respond to almost every email that I get, uh, no matter, you know, if I think they're going to be an SRAM ambassador or if I think there's no way they'd probably be, be one, like I still am responsive and I, I give them information and I try to help them, you know, on their journey. 
because I think that's important. Just because they might not fit in what we're doing at the moment doesn't mean that they can't be out there doing what they do in a way that's helping the whole, you know? Absolutely. What are your thoughts? I've been thinking about this a lot lately on like your specifically, your specific mission is to get more women on bikes. Mm -hmm. And how do you feel about going to a lot of women only events? And how do you feel that those fit in? Like, what are your thoughts when there are co-ed events versus women specific events? And what, what are you, what do you think is the most effective to SRAM's mission of getting more women on bikes? Um, I think it takes all, all types of events to be really successful, right? Like, if we, if our program only ever did women-specific events all the time, we would only be getting 50% of the population support, really, right? Like, so to speak. You know, you've got to have, you've got to incorporate other people. You've got to bring in, you know, the guys, too, and um, make sure that, that they're supporting the cause as well. You know, recently we just put on a uh, camber exchange here in the office, which is uh you know, Camber's an organization that's all about uh, bringing more diversity into the to the outdoor industry, um, which is a super awesome mission and something that we definitely align with for sure. And that's a co-ed that's a co-ed event, and it's focused on networking and it's focused on diversifying diversifying the outdoor industry. Um, and the SRAM Women's Program and the SRAM Women's Leadership Committee collaborated to put that event on with Camber. So. And that was a huge, it was a, it was a big success and it was really exciting to see that the people who came and participated in the event, um, was, was really gender balanced crowd. So we had as many, almost as many males as we did females, even though traditionally the camper events have been much more, uh, high, like higher participation from, from women. So it was nice to see the balance and nice to see all the support and have the conversations like, we have formal networking activities where we actually have conversations. We ask those hard questions that are like, you know, how how can we do better? How can, you know, what do we need to do to get the support of these people for this, you know, getting more women on bikes? And what have your experiences been and that kind of thing? And we have those conversations. And it's nice to be able to have that in a diverse group of people. You know, you get more perspective. You get a better idea of what the what the whole situation looks like. Have you always just used whatever sheets are the easiest to find? You're not even sure where you bought your sheets in the first place, are you? You've kind of just had them since college. No one's really sure. No one's ever sure. Well, guess what? Now you can buy really, really fancy sheets online at an affordable price. And that sounds super cool, and I don't really know much about that because I still use the mystery sheets. But I can tell you about a really great creative agency called Wheelie Creative. Most people call it Wheelie but we're a creative agency for people who thrive outside. Results-oriented, strategy-driven, and a lot of fun to work with. So check us out, wheeliecreative.com, and you might be thinking, Lisa, isn't this your company? Aren't you just doing a commercial about your own company? Yes, I am, but guess what? My company sponsors this podcast, and I'm paying Iris to edit it, so you get to hear about it. Wheeliecreative.com, results-oriented, pretty fun too. So for you specifically, why bikes? How'd you get to where you are now? What's what's up with you and bikes? Well, bikes have been in my life for a long time. Um, I grew up in a really small town in Western North Carolina, and there wasn't much to do there, so you had to make your own fun. 
Um, and for me, that involved uh, riding, the bar riding department store bikes into the ground, basically. <laughs> um, and I was like, I remember when I got, you know, I had like a couple of single speed, like banana seed hand-me-down bikes for my older siblings and stuff. But the first brand new bike that I ever got myself was like straight off the shelf at the Sears department store or whatever. And uh, came in a box and I built it myself. I was like 12 years old. I don't know how my parents thought that was safe, um, <laughs> but knowing what I know now, I'm like, I'm glad I'm alive considering what I did on that bike, but yeah, bikes have, uh, bikes have been a huge part of my life for a, for a long time, um, and they started, it started as just, you know, a way to get around and have something fun to do with my friends and, you know, building jumps and catching yourself off things to flat was pretty pretty entertaining when you're a young kid you know <laughs> um and then since then you know it's just always been a part of my life i commuted by bike when i was in school and um you know picked up racing probably starting around 19. um was never very good at it but enjoyed it for long enough to do it for near nearly gosh, nearly a decade i guess what kind of racing all different disciplines i mean I've raced everything from road bikes and cross bikes to cross country to dual slalom to four cross to downhill. Yeah, and I was had a lot of fun doing all of it, but I was never I was never uh, podium material. We'll say <laughs> just uh, <laughs> I had more fun and spent more time on the ground than most of the other races probably. But it was it was a good time. Mm -hmm. I call that fourth place athlete, where you're like I almost made the podium. Yeah. Yeah, but al along with that, I think my real passion in bikes has been, you know, being a mechanic. And I've been, this will be my 16th year uh, in in the industry, and the first uh, 10 of those were spent uh, wrenching on bikes. So that's kind of, that's where I've found my my career in the industry, you know, is in the back of the shop getting, getting my hands greasy. So. And how'd you get into that? Um... Let's see. I was uh, I was a sous chef. That was kind of my first uh, first career, and that lifestyle was pretty pretty much the pits for me because I really love being outside and you know spending all day in the kitchen where it's all artificial light and you never get out of, out of there to see to see daylight. Really, um, mm -hmm. this wasn't working for me, and I was making a move across the country. So I was moving to California, sight unseen, with a uh, with an ex-partner and I uh, decided I wanted to change my life and I'd always been into bikes and I had a friend who had taught me taught me a couple things about wrenching on bikes and yeah I applied for a position that was on Craigslist before I even moved and got a phone interview and they were like yeah as soon as you get out here come in and interview in person and when I got to Oakland I interviewed and got the job and haven't really looked back got pretty lucky with that shop. Actually, I had to, <laughs> I quit like a month in um, because when I interviewed with them, I, I was like, I want to be a mechanic. And we had this understanding, I thought, that I was going to be trained to be a mechanic. Um, but when I first started working there and I saw, you know, the first schedule came out for the first month, I was on the, I was on the sales floor the whole time. And uh, found another job and quit and I let them know why. And they were like, okay, we get it. We understand, you know. And uh, a couple weeks later, they called me back. And they were like, we want you back. We're going to train you. We're going to make sure you become a mechanic. And uh, they did. <laughs> they definitely did. So That's really nice that they did. I worked 
at a in a bike shop in Fort Collins. I grew up working in bike shops in in Fort Collins. And I remember after I had worked sales for like two years, I was like, I would like to go be a bike builder in the basement and I'll take the pay cut. And they said, no, what? they were like, no, there's no way we will let you go do that. And I was like, okay. That's a bummer. Yeah. That's lame. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got lucky. The shop that the first shop I worked in Alameda bicycles was a super progressive shop. Like I ended up managing the service department there, worked there for, for a couple of years. Then, Went to manage a couple other uh, service departments and became a race mechanic after that. But yeah, it was, uh, I was super lucky to land in the shop that I landed in. Like they were very, they sent me to school, uh, Barnett's Bicycle Institute, Park School School, SRAM Technical University, which I ended up being an instructor at later uh, when I first got, got hired at SRAM. So it's been an interesting journey for sure. That's cool. What's being a race mechanic involved, fixing shit on the fly? Yes, uh, as quickly as you possibly can, um, and as accurately as you possibly can. Um, like somewhere, finding that happy medium between those two that's safe enough and good enough that it gets the job done in some instances is what it's a what it's about. Um, when you have lots of lots of hours spent, you know, after the the racers and athletes and teams have been you know racing their bikes all day. Then it's the mechanics turn. You know, they get all the bikes, they clean them up, they queue them all up, they make sure they're race ready for the next day, and uh, you know, you go to bed pretty late. And you you're the first one up. You know, making sure everything's ready to go, loading cars and getting uh, everybody prepared, and making sure that the uh, follow cars are all stocked up with all the product and tools and things that you need to be able to jump out of the car and and mid race and help somebody change a flat or take care of mechanical or get them a new bike and work them off the road. So um, most of the race mechanic stuff I did was uh, more on the road side of things. I was lucky enough to land a gig with the U.S. paracycling team um, in 2012. That was kind of the highest point of my mechanic in my career when I got asked to uh, arrange for, for the U.S. paracycling team and all the way through the Paralympics in London in 2012 is pretty amazing for sure. Yeah, I can only imagine. That's that's cool. So then were all those bikes very specific to the athletes using them? Yes, definitely. Like, like not any stock style bike you would buy at a bike shop? Correct. Yeah, there were all different kinds of bikes. I mean, we had everything from hand cycles where the rider was laying down pretty much flat and uh, to hand cycles where riders were kneeling, to trikes, um, to uprights that were, you know, adapted to whatever the disability was um, that the rider, the racer, athlete um, on the bike had. So they were, I mean, they ran the gamut. You know, you were you were dealing with really untraditional ideas as far as like everything you'd ever been taught about a bicycle. Um, you know, having limit screws that were upside down and backwards and you know, cables being routed to, uh, you know, on hand cycles where their hand grips are and they rotate around. So having to deal with like, how do you, how do you route housing so that it can be, you know, basically circulated without it like tying itself in a knot or being in the way or, you know, causing an extra, a lot of extra drag or anything on the system. So there are always, uh, always good problems to troubleshoot. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. And now, so how did you end up? As the women's program coordinator at SRAM, is that a position they created because 
you're so badass and you already worked at SRAM or did you have to interview and and work at SRAM specifically for that? How did how did this come into, into be? Gotcha. So kind of continue on how, how maybe I came to SRAM and then that kind of plays into that story. So after I ran for the paracycling team in 2012, my contract ended after the games. Um, and I went to Interbike that year went to the job fair they were having, and SRAM happened to be there and be hiring for a position to teach to be an instructor for the SRAM Technical University. Um, and so I interviewed for the job. I got that job and teaching class full of uh, mechanics that were, were men, uh, how to work on all the products that we made, <laughs> which they were always shocked when they showed up to school for the first day, and they were like, wait, what? This lady's going to teach us all this stuff? We all became friends in the end and learned a lot, so it was good. Um, uh, but from there, I became a engineering technician for uh, the brake team. Which means I took apart and put together like all these new um, unreleased models of brakes to kind of troubleshoot them and, and figure out what works and what doesn't and work with the engineers to create uh, better systems, basically. But all the time I was doing those two jobs, like I was also going out to these events, these women-specific events, um, ones at Sea Otter with the Gold Rush Tour and Rebecca Rush and, you know, Crankworks and other events and putting on these women's clinics for SRAM. So um, kind of started pretty much off the bat when I got my job. They were like, whoa, we have this, we have a woman that works in the office and she could spin a wrench, so let's send her out to these, you know, events and, and see if we can, you know, have her teach people about our product and help them understand the mechanics of a bicycle better. And it kind of worked out worked out really well to the point that, you know, three, what, three and a half years in or so, um, we were doing enough of that that we were like, why don't we create a position? And I was involved a little bit in the idea of the creation of the position. Uh, but my boss at the time, Elena Caldwell, really, really uh, championed the cause and, you know, took it to senior management and got it approved and, uh, you know, created the job posting and I had to apply uh, and was, ended up getting the position. It was pretty, pretty awesome and working under under Elena, who's a veteran of the industry, uh, over, over 20 years in the industry and has so much experience. It was a really awesome to have her kind of be my mentor and help me create this program so it was a uh, pretty pretty sweet do you have anyone on your team that you are the mentor for or the manager of right now it is just me um but there are uh you know hopes and wishes of of, of growth and and me getting some help that would be nice <laughs> it's a lot of work for sure yeah Is your business struggling to find and retain top talent? Is it hard to weed through resume after resume and still not find what you're looking for? I'm really sorry about your hiring problems. What I think happened was your company hired a creative agency called Wheelie Creative. Wheelie Creative got your company the results that it deserved. And then suddenly you got so much work that you had to start hiring people. Wheelie Creative, strategy driven, results oriented, pretty fun to work with as well. WheelieCreative.com. Sorry about your hiring problem. Yeah, it seems like you're at every bike event. I do my best to be 
to be everywhere I can be. Um, this year especially was a was a big year. Just finished up this season at Rome Fest, which is one of the best festivals in the industry, I think. Um, and uh, I'm tired. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> I have not spent much time uh, uh, with my feet on the ground. It feels like. Yeah, yeah. Rome Fest was great. Mm-hmm. For sure. That's probably my favorite event of the whole year. Yeah, and I got to go to two this year, which I was so awesome. May and October. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So bikes equal freedom, right? And in mm-hmm. historically speaking, um, you know, once you get a bike, you have freedom. And when you're a little kid, that's a huge, huge milestone. So like, what's, what's your freedom story with the bike? Uh, I mean, honestly, when I was, when I was a kid growing up in that small town, like having a bike was exactly that. I mean, it's kind of cliche, right? Like exactly mm-hmm. what you just said. I got that bike and all of a sudden my world opened up. I could go a couple miles down the street to the university and meet up with all my friends. Instead of having to build our own jumps, we could just huck ourselves off the shipping docks at the university. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was, a, it was a big deal, you know, and, and I could go farther and go, you know, start exploring trails in the woods. And like we, we would make trails in between our houses. It was a small enough town that there weren't really neighborhoods. There were just houses in the woods and you know, your friend would live like literally over the hill and through the valley and you just make a trail, cut the trail and you'd have like pack neighborhood dogs following you, helping you like break it in. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was just a huge adventure. You know, it opened up like this world of exploration. So in your opinion, why do adults stop riding bikes? Like, cause all little kids band together and they ride their bikes and it's like the best memories ever. And then something happens and what is it? People get driver's licenses? Like, I don't really understand why you don't see more people on bikes. Well, I think that's part of it, right? Um, the driver's license thing. But And then, you know, as you get older, sometimes those distances you need to travel uh, become greater or your time becomes more constrained. I think definitely moving into that thing with all adulthood, uh, you know, hurdles like that arise for sure. Um, and people need the most efficient way and they always... They always seem to think that's the car, um, even though I've, I've proven plenty of people wrong, uh, racing them on my bike versus them in their car from point A to point B, you know, I get the primo parking spot too. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> totally. I think a lot, a lot of times people, you know, you just, cars are what people expect to be the best way. And it's hard for people to get out of that, uh, that line of thought once it's been so ingrained, you know. Yeah, man. So what's the thing that gets you the absolute most stoked about your job and all these events that you go to? Like what, what's your favorite part? My favorite part, honestly, is really interacting with the people, like at the festivals, at the events, the women that come to the clinics, like, you know, when, when I have the opportunity to share information with people and, and hopefully help them on, on, you know, their journey to, to becoming a better biker or just to learning that one thing they wanted to learn that'll get them over a hurdle, whether it's a skill on the bike or how to set up your suspension or some little tip or trick that I can, I can help with. Like, I love that. I love being able to help somebody out and help them enjoy biking that much more because I know how much I enjoy it and how much it's meant to me. And if I can, you know, be helpful to someone, that's, that's uh, definitely exciting to me. 
Well, that's really cool. That's super nice. Occasionally I'm nice, you know, like once a year or so. (laughs) (laughs) And people are probably very receptive to learning from a woman. Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, no, I think I think it'd be hilarious to like back when you were teaching at the SRAM Tech University, having like a room full of dudes be like, wait, what? Yeah. And then they probably dropped that sentiment after they started talking to you for two minutes. But yeah, yeah, it definitely was funny because, you know, we had we had a pretty like scheduled class because we only have people in there for like three days. And we're trying to cover all sorts of like suspension products, like taking them all the way apart and putting them back together and reverb, dropper, seat posts and all these things, you know, that are like, you know, when you're first taking them apart for the first time, like it's a, it's something you want to take your time to understand, you know? So it's like, we have a pretty regimented schedule. And the first thing we go into, like literally we do introductions in the classroom. And the first thing we would teach was suspension theory. And I taught it every time. And it's like two and a half hours of like, this is how shit works. This is how you break down the theory of suspension. And uh, yeah, pretty much after that, we were, we were all on the same page. It was fun, though. <laughs> <laughs> Did you secretly love it? I think I would love it. Yeah. I mean, I like I like the theory and physics and all that stuff anyway. So I enjoyed yeah. it. I enjoyed talking about it and stuff. Um, so that that definitely helped for sure. Yeah. 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 So what's uh what's next for you? What do you got coming up this winter or next summer? What's, what's oh. an upcoming thing? I a little bit of downtime, hopefully. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um I mean right now like I said, it's uh, we are in the middle of sponsorship season, so getting all of that sorted out, getting my schedule for 2019 um you know, dialed and confirmed. Uh, with all the different events and, and programs that we'll be we'll be supporting out there on the road. Um, once that's done, yeah, I hope to uh, you know take a little bit of time to reflect on on 2018 and ways that we can uh, make 2019 better. Really, um, you know, when you're in the middle of a, a really busy event season and it's you know, pretty much lasts from March to the end of October, it's not it doesn't leave a lot of time for you to kind of uh, look back and figure out ways to do things better differently or that kind of thing. So I definitely spend spend some time doing that. Got a little vacation plan. Uh, yeah, and then it all starts back over again. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, last question for you. So a lot of a lot of people who listen to the podcast have some form of influence in the outdoor industry, whether they are journalists or photographers or marketing managers so like what's your big picture advice to anyone who does have some influence in the industry to uh make it make it a more welcoming or different or better place i mean i i'm going to answer that in, in two separate ways the first way um for the women's program here at sram i think you know one of the biggest things that we have going on moving forward is it's you know kind of expanding our our mission like uh raising raising the bar from gender balance to diversity as a whole and kind of looking at that picture uh with with uh more open eyes you know and being a more wholly inclusive uh program uh than just focusing solely on gender balance um so that is definitely Mm -hmm. something that 
that is is future for us um, and super important, I think, uh, in the industry as a whole. So that kind of leads me into the second part of it is that just, you know, I think keeping keeping our eyes wide open and being aware and not cutting our nose off despite our face, right? Like it is so important for women to be on bikes, but it is also so important for people of color to be on bikes or to be in the outdoor industry and to feel comfortable here and that we have a responsibility to make sure that we're seeing that too. You know? Um and it's it's important. Right now it's super important. Wow, that was an amazing answer. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. How, like, what does that mean, keeping our eyes open and being aware? Like, what? how can How can we do that? Well, I think, you know, there, there are a lot of different things that, that, can, uh, that can mean. Uh, to me, it's not, you know, I think a lot of times it's really easy to tokenize, right, someone. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm just going to hire this uh, African-American model who rides bikes and I'm going to put them in my catalog and then I'm going to be, my company's going to be so progressive and legit. Like, no, that's not it. You know, that's like, that's tokenizing. That's like, you actually have to invest. Find, go out there, find that person. Find the Aisha McGowan's or the Sam Scipio's or, you know, the people out there that are riding bikes, that are people of color, that are doing the, the hard work of, of being a representative to their community because representation matters. Know, and those people are out there, and as an industry, we need to seek them out. We need to find the ways to find them and bring them into the community and support them and hold them up so that the people that they are trying to represent see them and see that and have role models, can see people doing the things in the outdoor world that all of us are, are here to support, you know, um, and not just hiring a model to make your company look progressive. You know, like, yes. and that's kind of a very basic, basic idea, but that's one of, you know, the more, uh, yeah, I think one of the ways that I see a lot of companies doing things or have, having done things that is starting to change in the outdoor industry. And, and it's important to keep your eyes open to those kinds of things to not just, you know, do good enough, but to do way better than that. Yes. I'm so glad that SRAM has you in the position that you're in, and I'm glad that you can help attract more women to bikes, and just, yeah, thanks for everything you do. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, and, you know, it's, uh, I'm really humbled to be able to be in this position, and I just want to be as helpful as I can be, so hopefully, hopefully that'll work out. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, where can people follow what you're doing or contact you if they want to talk to you. Yep. Um, so all of the SRAM, uh, MTV and SRAM Road, uh, Instagram, Facebook accounts are really good places to get information that we put all company-wide information out there uh, via those channels. Uh, there's also a newsletter that gets uh, published quarterly from the women's program. And if you get on to, uh, if you just Google SRAM newsletter, uh, you, can, you can generally find a sign-up page for that. Um, and those are all good ways to kind of keep uh, keep an eye on what's going on and where we'll be and what we'll be doing for sure. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you uh, so much for your time and thanks for being awesome. Yeah, thank you, Lisa. You're awesome as well. <laughs> <laughs>
So in, in the show notes, we will have all the links to um, the Instagram accounts and newsletters that Sarah just mentioned. So be sure to check the show notes in the episode and on the Wheelie Creative uh, podcast page. Next week, I am speaking with Mel of Mountain Mel's, who just got her product into REI, taking over the world. Uh, so Mel is a very high energy, fun human being. So tune in next time. <laughs>